Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, conversations designed to help you as you live, learn, and lead through pain. And now the host of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, Davey Blackburn. Hello, welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. I'm your host, Davey Blackburn, and joining me are guest co-host for this month, Brittany Brooker. Brittany, so great to have you back on the podcast. Thanks. It's been fun. You're like a regular though. I mean, if, you, if you're listening to this and you have not heard Daniel and Brittany Brooker's story, you've got to go listen. Episodes 22 and 23. We've also done some bonus episodes. We also did a live Q&A with you guys. It's just fun doing ministry with y'all. What it's we, what so we fun doing it with you guys too. We love doing life. Well, you know, speaking of life, life has been interesting for the past several months. And no matter when you're listening to this, you've been affected by COVID-19. So whether you're listening to this in a few years and, um, you know, you're, we're kind of all looking back on this or whether you're listening to this in real time when this releases, COVID-19 has definitely drastically affected all of us. Uh, mm-hmm. This is one of those seasons that, man, you know, our kids, Brittany, are going to be like learning about this in history books. Yep. You know what I mean? Our kids and our grandkids are going to be going like, oh, you remember that pandemic that happened that totally drastically affected everyone and everything? And, you know, I just was kind of thinking about that going, okay, no matter where we're at, if we look back on the season of, of COVID-19, we kind of reflect back on it, there's some things that we can learn about it. And um, I'd love to talk about that and maybe provide our listeners with like, hey, here's some stuff we've learned through COVID-19, things that we can take into, come on, our, the next difficult season that we're going to mm-hmm. find. Because we're always going to have a next difficult season. There's always going to be a difficult trial coming up. And we say this all the time that we've got to begin to prepare and train for the trial that we're not yet in. Yeah, because everyone's the, life changes in a minute. I mean, your yeah. whole life changed in a second. Mine did. Yep. And then honestly, everyone's did with COVID. Right, right. And so um, some thoughts. When your life changes in a minute, what are some things that that we can learn? Brittany, what are your, what are your thoughts on that? Man, I think for me, I really found out that everything that I heard about God and everything I'd studied about God was really true. You know, I think it's kind of like the fire is under you and what do you really have and what do you really hold on to that's lasting. And I think in the midst of when your life changes and when you walk through suffering that you never expected, when COVID happens and it changes Mm -hmm. every plan that you had for the year, you know, for us, it affected us dramatically. It's going, okay, but what is remaining the same and what can we go to to find our hope and encouragement and to kind of rest that anchor, yeah. you know, in the midst of this hard time, in the midst of, okay, what's happening tomorrow with this? What's happening today? It could change. Right, but what right. is our anchor in the midst of those storms? That's so good. I think it's just a confirmation of the fact that there is one thing that holds solid, yep. right? And that is the person of Jesus, the Word mm-hmm. of God that can become our anchor, the anchor for our soul. Yep. You know, I mean, we've talked about this before, but you got Matthew 7 that says that when the storms come, the wise man was the one who built his house on what? On the rock. Yep. Right? And the rock, many people are like, well, the rock is Jesus. Yes, and the, the rock is, Jesus said it was his words. Like when, yep. if we listen to his words and put them into practice, those two things, that's the rock. And so mm-hmm. no matter what changes and shifts around us, God's word hold strong. God's That's word so is pervasive through every single situation that we experience. And Absolutely. what I what I've learned in this is that God's word tells us that any trial we face, we can thrive in those trials. Yep. Like these the they look like setbacks. I hate to be cliché, but but really these setbacks God wants to use as a setup for something in our future. If we dig in, you know, if we, if we really lean into these seasons and lean into, um, most importantly, lean into the Word of God during these seasons, we can thrive. Yes. And it's all about a perspective in the midst of it. And I think that for all of us in the midst of COVID and not knowing what was going to happen, mm-hmm. sometimes it was hard in my house, at least, having yeah. a good attitude and keeping proper perspective. But I know that my perspective is not always good. But when I go to God's Word, it has a way of shifting my perspective from my circumstances 
to what really matters yeah, to the eternal yeah. view instead of this temporary view that I so find myself getting stuck in sometimes. Right. Well, these pressure seasons kind of cause the stuff that like, you know, the unaddressed things in our life to rise. Yeah. And then we were forced to address those things. And that really, when we address them, when we lean in and actually address them, that's what sets us up for being able to thrive. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I hear a lot, so many folks who are saying like, like I am just, I'm struggling in my, um, in, in growing in my relationship with Christ because these things that were the, the, the catalysts for my growth are not in place anymore. And, you know, I would say that like, okay, I would say, I would encourage you to evaluate those things and make sure that those aren't the things you're looking to, but you're actually looking to Jesus in yep. this season because, you know, Going to church physically is a catalyst for growth, but what happens when that is removed from your life? Can you still thrive? Mm-hmm. Can you still, because you're anchored in the bedrock of Jesus, you know? And I just kind of look at, like, I look at scripture and I see so many different places. Uh, Jeremiah 17, 7, right? It talks about how uh, it says, blessed is the man who trusts in the, who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord, right? Not in any other thing, right? Not in any other thing that we use to cope in these situations, but whose trust is in the Lord. And this is what it says. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes for its leaves remain green. Mm-hmm. They stay green. I mean, think about that, right? Like That's they amazing. stay green. Why do they stay green? Because there's nourishment continually pumping to them. And it says, and is not anxious in the year of drought. Can we call the yes. year 2020 the year of drought? I mean, it can feel like that. Yes. And yet this is saying, it goes on to say, for it does not cease to bear fruit. So our lives can bear fruit even in the year of drought, even in the COVID-19 year, if we remain connected to the vine, right? And connected going to, to the Jesus. well that never runs dry. Because so often we try to run the marathon of our lives. And I don't know about you, but it's yeah. been like marathon on steroids at my house. And yeah. we try to run a marathon on a sip of water. And mm. so the sip of water of like, oh, I just read that verse on Instagram or I heard this message. Wow, Instead of good. literally going to the source, going to the well and mm. going to the word of God saying, God, would you feed my soul? God, Man. would you refresh me? Would you lead me beside still waters? Would you restore my soul? And it does say those who trust in God will never be put to shame. Those yeah. who trust in God, not trust in chariots, not trust in our comfort, mm. not trust in what world provides, but trust in the mighty name and the word of Jesus. Yeah, that's so good. I think this is revealing a lot to us and has revealed a lot to us in the season about what it really means to trust in God and in Him alone. Okay, that is so true. And before we step into this interview with Esther Fleece, I just want to remind you to go to iTunes and rate and review Nothing Is Wasted podcast. Mm. And also check us out on Instagram at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries. Yeah. And while you're browsing around and doing that, go to nothingiswasted.com slash stories. We would love to hear your story. We've got lots of stories featured there. The stories platform is just another way for us to feature more and more stories to encourage other people as they're living, learning, and leading through their pain. And so share your story with us, nothingiswasted.com slash stories. You can submit it there. If you have any questions that are just burning on your heart and you would love to ask us those questions, you'd love for us to answer those questions, maybe tackle and wrestle with some of those questions in the intro and outro portion of this, email us at hello at nothingiswasted.com. And uh, you can, we'd love to answer your questions right there. Yep. And finally, we have an incredible conversation with Esther Fleece. Um, you may have heard of her. She is the author of No More Faking Fine. That's kind of the book that put her on the map. But she's recently released another book called Your New Name. And uh, she talks a lot about labels. Brittany, I don't know about you, but it's very easy uh, for me. I, I can be very tempted to kind of label my situations and it cause me to limit uh, my ability to move through those situations or what I believe God can do in my situations because I've just put a label there and it's become a limiter. Um, That's what we talk about in this and more. So let's lean in, listen to this conversation I have with Esther Fleece. Esther, it's so great to have you joining me on the podcast. Thank you. 
Thank you for having me. I'm honored to be with you. Well, this is going to be a tremendous conversation because we've spent some time on the front end talking a little bit about some things and have found some common threads within our stories. And um, so I'm really excited about just what God's already doing in all of this. But why don't, before we jump into your story and the message that you're carrying right now, why don't you tell us a little bit about your life, just kind of your context and, and who you are and what, what you do? Sure. Um, well, gosh, I am an author and a speaker, and I love teaching the Word of God and studying the Word of God. I'm a new mom. I have an um, 18-month-old at home, and I'm actually due with our second baby in a few weeks. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> so, um, wow. That's going to make some to very uh, busy, busy <laughs> seasons with doing the yes. traveling and speaking and momming. All the <laughs> and, the, and the new momhood. I have so much more respect for parents after becoming one oh. because... I'm like, do you ever sleep again? This no. is a whole new world. That's what I'm, that's, I know. We're two months in at the time of this recording on, and we're like, are we going to get like a full night's rest again? Is this going to happen? <laughs> ever? Will I ever sleep again? It's the greatest gift though. But uh, so I um, am married to my husband, Joel, but you know what? I, for years, um, I mean, I didn't get married. We didn't get married till we were in our thirties. And so most people know me through writing and speaking as a single young adult. I've yeah. worked for great churches. I work have worked for great ministries and I have a heart and a passion for marriage and family. Uh, mm. But that was really birthed out of a lack of uh, seeing good examples of marriage. And wow. uh, my family unit broke down when I was really a young girl and we can get just really get into that if you yeah. want, but um, it was, it's really birthed. My heart for marriage and family is really birthed out of not having a really intact family or a healthy family. So I'm just wow. trying to set new patterns for my family now, which many of us are trying to do the same thing, aren't we? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's one of the things that I've discovered, this whole idea of, you know, Romans 12, one and two, that don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This idea that we can set new patterns, even though there's some destruction that's happened in our past, that sounds so promising and so hopeful. And yet the actual practical side of doing so is so difficult sometimes. Oh, it is hard work. And I tell you, you know, for this next book that I wrote, it's called Your New Name. And I studied the, the word new in scripture. And actually a really common uh, definition for it is that you are found not exactly like you were before. And wow. so there's some hope in that, that all of us will wrestle, will struggle through things, but there is a newness that God can do inside of us, that we are truly new creations and he gives us a new name and he makes us ministers of a new covenant. So this word, new is, is it's a deep transforming work mm. that God can do. And I found that for many of us, it happens after devastation. Wow. For most of us, it happens after a really dark time or a storm, or it, it's in the middle of a struggle yep. that that newness is birthed forth. And so we've got to persevere when the worst of things have happened to us, That's which great. is hard. It's yep. hard to do. Yep. Well, I would love to hear uh, your story. Take us back. Um, you know, you, you alluded to the fact that your family unit broke down at a very early age. I think there's so many people who are listening to this. That's been their experience as well. And then I'd love for you to just kind of tell us some of the insights that God has um, brought into your heart through some of this healing and repair that he's done. So take us back and talk us a little bit about what happened in your childhood? Sure. Well, you know, it's difficult talking about, I mean, mm. more than 20 years later, it's still hard talking about, I had a mom and a dad and everything looked fine on the outside. My father had a successful business in the Detroit area. And my mother was at home and she volunteered in the school and everything just on the outside looked fine. But my father um, did suffer from a mental illness and I didn't understand what that looked like. I mean, or what that meant, I should say. Mm -hmm. um, I remember when I would ask like, well, what's wrong with my dad? Or you're telling me something's wrong. People would just say he's sick. Mm. You know, to a child, I thought, well, he doesn't seem like he has a cold or, you know, when is he going to feel better? Yeah. Um, I didn't realize that his mind was really breaking down. And so, you know, there was just years of living through um, really difficult circumstances. He was, he would try to take me from school. Um, he was physically violent towards my mother. Mm. Um, he ended up losing his business and there were several felony cases against him. And so he was in and out of jail. Um, and he would call me as a character witness to a lot of these trials. I think in his mind, wow. he wanted to see me like that was just a way that he could see me, but it meant that me at the age of eight, nine, 10, 11 years old, I had to go into the courtroom and testify against my father. It was wow. 
just very traumatic. Um, just a, a few, I mean, few years into that trauma, my biological mother ended up getting remarried. And um, so that was difficult in and of itself. But that dad, that stepdad, one year later had an affair and left our family. So, and I was still in and out of the courts at this time. I mean, I was still grieving the loss of my biological father and his entire family. And then I have to grieve another loss of losing this stepdad. Mm. Um, and it was at that time, I was probably about 13 years old that my mom, my biological mom, just, I don't, I don't, I mean, I don't know. And we never know the motives of somebody's heart, but she just stopped being a mom. I think, wow. I think she was just so wounded and hurt and who wouldn't be, you yeah. know, after what she had gone through and the abuse that she experienced that she just checked out from being a mom and decided she didn't want to be a mom anymore to me. And so that, you know, that was probably the hardest loss for me yeah. because during all of that loss and trauma, I really clung to her. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you're, you know, you're a teenage girl entering into like young womanhood and trying to figure out what it means to be a woman. And then your mother abandons you. Yeah. It was, it was just, it was, devastating to me. So I was 13 years old and there was wonderful families in my community. I was in the public school system and um, people saw that I was in need. Coaches saw that I was in need and I would just sleep at different friends' houses. I really should have been in foster care, but there were so many wonderful families that took me in Mm. um, that I didn't have to go into foster care. And I was able to finish my undergrad I worked for a great church, actually, that you know of. Mm-hmm. I interned when I was still in high school at Kensington Community Church in Michigan. Yeah. And they they really were a spiritual family to me. And the church became, you know, it says in the book of Psalms that God places the lonely in families. The mm. church became my family. And the church is still my family. And I love them. And I'm committed to the church. Um, but, you know... I mean, my my life could have went in several different right, ways, but right. fortunately, God saved me and and put wonderful believers in my life to mentor me to show me a different way. Wow. And I hopefully have been living for my life my life for God since. Yeah. You know, He really He really did adopt me as His daughter, and yeah. He is my everything. So yeah, that's a little bit. Wow. There's a lot more, but that's kind of the beginning. <laughs> well, we'll uh, we'll dive into it a little bit more and unpack it. But I'm I'm really curious, Esther. You know. I'm curious about your salvation experience because there's so much of this idea, you know, with your family deteriorating and you almost finding yourself in some ways a, an orphan, mm-hmm. you know, and, and God's word says so much about how he cares for orphans and he He wants the church, his people to also care for orphans and widows and people who, like you said, they don't have a family. Um, but there's this powerful, powerful theological principle of adoption that takes place when we are adopted into the family of God, when we, you know, uh, receive what Jesus did for us on the cross. And I'm really curious about your salvation experience. What was that like? Um, would you walk me through that a little bit? And then, because I have a follow-up question too, from that. So like, talk to me about that yeah. kind of just you know, like switch for I actually, you. I love that you asked this. I don't think anyone's asked me this. Um, and so I don't even know how I would sum it up. I mean, even when I was at home with my biological parents, we would go to church and yeah. I would hear the word of God and the word never returns void. Yeah. And I remember I went through like a confirmation and I was given a Bible. And so I remember on those hard nights that I was like alone and scared, I would read my Bible. And I remember having conversations with God. Hmm. Um, And then I I get into like even my upper elementary school years. And I remember explaining Jesus to my friends and wanting people to know Jesus. And so I can't pinpoint like a specific day. Like some people have like a salvation birthday. Like I can't pinpoint a specific day, but I just remember God's wooing of me yeah. from an early age and and really that he'd given me just a sensitivity to his spirit that I think helped me over and over and over again. And then as, you know, I was living in a single parent home and as the divorces were happening and um, I was, you know, in different daycare when I was younger, but then I would go to church camps. You know, you kind of like right. put your kids in any activity you can when you're just trying to make ends meet. Yeah. I would go, I would go to the local Awana and I would Mm. study the word of God. I would go to church camp. And I remember, (laughs) Davey, I remember 
I was going to this camp year after year in middle school. And I remember every time they asked who wants to be saved, I would raise my hand. <laughs> As <laughs> most I, of I was, us who grew up going to church camp, like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah I'm coming. <laughs> and I remember there was a, um, a, a leader that came up to me, like probably after the second year that they had seen me say, mm-hmm. I want to keep getting saved. And they said, you don't have to keep getting saved. Like, mm like you, it's, you're in, like you're done. Like, it's okay. You're not going to go to hell. And, but I got to tell you, and I haven't talked about this yet. So I'm so glad you asked in my next book, your new name, I felt challenged to look up the different meanings of the word saved in scripture, mm. because what that leader did, I mean, I think they were trying to help me to like, to affirm that I was saved. I was God's daughter and I didn't need to like earn it. I didn't need to do the right thing to stay his daughter. You know, I was so used to abandonment. I think they were trying to reaffirm who Mm -hmm. I am in Christ, but it actually had a negative effect on me because I thought I wasn't supposed to ask to be saved anymore. And really, when you look at the Bible, you see God's people still asking to be saved, Mm. even after they're saved. So David, for example, David is loves God. David is anointed King. And then David goes through years of stalking and it was very difficult. And what does David do? He calls on God to save him. He's asking God to save him. Paul does the same thing. I mean, so we see examples where Men of God, people of God are saying, God, please save me. Even even though they're God's chosen yep. people or they're God's children. Esther, look, look at how Esther in the Bible, not me, but right. the other one. <laughs> Esther called on God to still save and yeah. to save her people. And so as I was writing your new name, I realized I was, I believe God saved me at an early age, but then I had an incorrect understanding that I was just supposed to like suck it up mm. and make it through hardships. When in actuality, God does save us, but there is a lot more saving that we need yeah. even after we're saved. Yeah. Wow. And there's a lot more calling on him. And, and there's again, different definitions of the world word saved. And so we just kind of like we just think it's like a one and done thing. Right. But I think I think for every single one of us, we are going to go through moments in life where we have to say, even as we're saved, God, please save me yeah. again. Yeah. God, I need you again. Oh, that's so great. Well, and that's one of the reasons I asked you that because of this idea of, you know, your reality growing up at, with your family and, you know, being used to abandonment and all of that would have shaped very early on this viewpoint of God that God abandons when things get hard, sure. or, you know, when, mm-hmm. that he's not here for you. And, you know, yet our understanding of scripture and knowing who God actually is helps to inform us. Otherwise it helps to assure us that he is here for us, but that head knowledge doesn't happen immediately. You know? No, not at all. And I, you know, I was, I actually share this story, um, in the, in this next book as well, but I had tried taking my life in high school several times, you know, I was in and out of court and I was losing everyone close to me. And there was, um, actually a a guy named Justin that I had, I had the opportunity to share the gospel with him and he did accept Christ. And then sadly he took his life Mm. and it was the first time I'd ever heard of suicide. It was in ninth grade and the enemy started lying to me like, well, that's a way out, you know, well, everyone leaves you. So why don't you just make it easier Mm. on yourself? You know, why don't you just do everyone else a favor? And I just, now I can see that they were lies being fed to me, but at the time they were really believable. Like, because my circumstances, I mean, everyone was leaving me. So when the enemy says everyone's leaving you, it was like, Oh, okay. That's true. And, um, I found myself in the hospital and a youth pastor came and said, you're the last person that we thought would do this. Mm. I mean, I just won the award at youth group for bringing the most friends. I was class president. I played three varsity sports, like from the outside, things looked fine. And I said to him, you know, everyone who says they love me leaves me. Mm. So I associated love with abandonment. That was my definition of it. And um, he said, Esther, Hebrews 13, five, God says, he'll never leave you or forsake you. And would you give God a chance? Would you give him a chance to not leave you? And I, I said, yes. (laughs) And I believe there was another salvation, if you will, experience in that moment. Uh, The Holy Spirit empowered me in that moment to live for him. It was a transforming day in my faith. 
Um, but I tell you that I faced a lot of hardship after that. I think almost probably more hardship mm. after that. And so that always gets put into question, you know, mm. what we say we believe then we'll go through dry times or as certain theologians call it dark night of the yes. dark night of the soul. Mm-hmm. And we will wrestle with God. Like, are you really with me? Are you with me? If I don't feel you, are you with me? If I'm not seeing you answer mm-hmm. my prayers, are you with me? If I'm not hearing you, um, the, and the kindness of God is, I feel like I've gone through every single one of those laments and somehow he has stayed so faithful to me. And he's kept me in the faith mm. and, and staying in the faith has a lot more to do with God and a lot less to do with us. And I see that, that wow. it's God himself that keeps us in the faith. So we don't have to be afraid of going through these question seasons and going through these laments that feel unending mm. because he is big enough to sustain us through those times that we question. And I think, you know, unfortunately, I think wow. most of us will go through dark nights Yep. And, um, and so there's gotta be hope that it, it's contingent on him, not yeah, me, yeah. you know? Well, what you're saying too, it, it, it sounds like what you're saying is there's space in those dark seasons to question, to doubt. We don't have to be concerned that that is evidence of us losing faith or losing hope when we question and we doubt and we, you know, and we wrestle with God in those seasons. Right. Because, it's actually evidence of faith. Yes. I mean, the fact that I was able to say, why God, where are you, God? Right. Have you forsaken me, God? Have you forgotten me, God? Will you ever be ki- kind to me again, mm-hmm. God? Like that was evidence that I was in relationship with him. And I think God would much rather us wrestle with him than to be out of the game mm. than to just be sitting on the sidelines. And, you know, many times in scripture, he gives us the example through the story of Jacob. Jacob was yep. renamed to be Israel and he was renamed in the middle of his wrestling. <laughs> it wasn't after he repented. It wasn't after he like, yeah. you know, cleaned up his life. It was in the middle of wrestling. God says to him, what is your name? He's calling him to say, to answer to God, where are you at right now? I'm asking where you're at. And God renames him and God makes him new in the middle of the Mm. wrestling. And so we do a disservice to ourselves when we silence the wrestling or when we try to like bring a theology lesson to people that are in their wrestling, because that's just, God meets them and God meets us in our wrestling. He doesn't offer like five ways to get out of it, unfortunately. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly right. Yeah. There's not like this step-by-step process. It's more, instead of a process, it's more of God's presence that brings you through all of this. It is. It is. This is a topic that you talked about quite a bit in your first book in um, uh, No More Faking Fine, this, this idea of, you know, lament and the dark night of the soul and the things that you had gone through. I'm, I'm really curious as to some of these, what, what were some of the things that you would say God was, was teaching you or shaping you in, um, in, in those dark nights of the soul? Maybe what were, you know, obviously yeah. you've shared some of those things with us, your, your family really kind of deteriorating this trauma that you experienced with your dad and then your mom, you know, but what were some of those like really spiritual dry thing, seasons that happened that provided the inspiration for this, but also catapulted you into this, this wrestling through this idea of lament and what was God yeah. showing you in those? Well, you know, I wish I could say it was my spiritual maturity and studying the word of God that led me. <laughs> no, it's usually to not that for any of us, this, is it? <laughs> but it was not, it was not that, um, you know, my biological father, it was such a loss. I mean, I just, every girl loves their dad, mm-hmm. you know, and it just was such a major loss in my life. And, um, you know, one that you kind of just never get over and you, you learn, you try to learn how to live, um, but it's just difficult. And so it it was 19 years after uh, a really traumatic courtroom experience that I, I actually begin no more faking fine with in telling Mm. that story. It was 19 years later, my biological father showed up at my home and, um, he showed up just as abruptly and unannounced as when he left. And, um, it was really, I mean, it was a shock to me. I had finally, I was in my twenties. I had bought my first home, which to like a former orphan just was a huge deal. And my home was such a safe place for me. And, Mm. um, and I used it for ministry. And so just for him to show up, I felt just so violated Mm. and I didn't know, I just didn't know how to function, honestly. Mm. Um, 
And then unfortunately, he became really obsessive with with my whereabouts. And um, it, it turned out that mentally he had just never gotten help, you know, never admitted he needed wow. help. There's certainly a mental health crisis in our country. Right. Um, jail time never really helped him. <laughs> um, you know, to my knowledge, he's always refused medicine. And so his mental state was 20 years deteriorated from when I had seen him last. And he was very dangerous then. And so um, I lived through some very intense years of stalking. The first year I was really fearful of my physical life. I thought I thought that he was going to take my life. Um, mm. And I really had to wrestle with scripture when it says to die is gain. And mm. I, I was, I remember like sleeping on my Bible thinking, okay, if he takes me, at least I'll be found on my Bible. So mm. people will know like I tried and at least, that I died in the faith wow. trying, wow. but like no daughter yeah, should have to, have to be yeah, wow. like that, you know? So then, um, then I felt like God's kindness. He got me through some of that fear, but the stalking didn't go away. Mm. It continued. Um, so the second year I went through it, I really struggled emotionally. I thought, how, how do I keep my job? I mean, at this point, I was traveling internationally, speaking on the importance of marriage and family. I was starting international offices for a nonprofit um, that were dedicated to supporting marriages and families. Mm. And so I was in these like conference rooms with people that mostly had nuclear families, mostly had like intact marriages. And here I am like a single young adult, single professional, already feeling misunderstood because I'm like the lone single person in the room. But now I'm dealing with this in my personal life and I don't know how to reconcile the two. Yeah. I felt very misunderstood. I felt emotionally I'm not going to make it through. And, and then the third year, I thought, my, I don't know that my faith is going to survive. I mean, mm. I just, how much can you pray for relief and right. how much can you pray for God's justice and right. God to defend you and, and not see an earthly tangible yeah you know, change. Right. Well, and, uh, and just a reprieve from the feeling, the stifling feeling of fear all the time. Yeah. Oh, it was, just I mean, anxiety. to live like that. It's, I mean, I, I would have panic attacks in the grocery store. It was, <sighs> it was like, it was, it just is a horrible way for anyone to live. Yeah. It's a horrible way for anyone to live. You know, I can say now a couple years through it, I can see where God was protecting me, mm. but um, it didn't, it didn't really feel like that in the middle of it it felt like he's, he's unmoved by mm. my circumstances. And so, you know what? I, I had to go to counseling. I I'd always thought I never wanted to go to counseling because when I was younger, I would have these court appointed counselors and then they would have to testify. So I had like a right. distrust with counselors. Yeah. That it wasn't really confidential. Yeah. It didn't feel confidential. Mm. Yeah. And so <laughs> believe it or not, I, I drove three hours out of town to go to a counselor because wow. I like didn't want anyone in my church or anyone in my work to know. I, so I drove three hours one way Jeez. to go to this intensive counseling and it was in the middle of counseling my, this counselor, after being with him for several days, he said, you need to lament. Mm. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, I'd never heard the word before. I was like, are you speaking French? Like, what Like, <laughs> what do you, and he said, do you know what a lament is? And I was like, no, you know, and here I am like years into my Christianity, years into serving right. the church, never had this language taught to me. Yeah. That's not, that's not even a knock on the church. It's just, we, yeah. we'd much rather talk about prosperity as humans Absolutely, than yeah. we would laments. Mm -hmm. Um, yet not all of us will go through prosperous time and every single one of us will lament. That's good. Yep. And um, anyway, so he said, your homework tonight is to lament to God. And I felt like it was the biggest waste of time. I thought this guy probably isn't as spiritually mature as I am. Like we're taught to be prayerful always and not be anxious. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to go to God and bother him with my cries. And I couldn't sleep. And probably like three o'clock in the morning, I finally just set up. And I was like, God, what is going on? Like, have you forgotten to be kind to me? And will you ever remember me again? And where's your compassion? And I just cried these laments out to him. And the number 77 popped in my head. Mm. And the only thing I knew to do was to go to Psalm 77, because at that point, that that's the only, the book of Psalms was the only book that mm -hmm. would speak to me when I was going through stalking. 
And so I opened up to Psalm 77 and I saw that every single one of my laments were already written down. Wow. Every single one of my laments was already in the scriptures. And God showed me in that moment that he doesn't turn me away when I cry out. He Mm. actually bends down. He listens to me. He comforts me. He hears me. God is deeply attracted to us in our brokenness. And I thought it was, I thought it was like my strengths that he wanted, Mm. but he actually just wanted my heart in the entirety. And so it changed my life. And not only that, but I now define lament as an expression of grief that God meets you in because I never see a person in scripture that he ignores when they're grieving. Instead, he comforts them and he visits them and he's compassionate towards them. Mm. And I just think our God is the most, he's the only God that meets a lamentor in their cries. Yeah. No other God offers that kind of relationship. And so it changed me. And, and that's really what I've spent probably the last you know, decade or so trying to right. communicate to the church is we've got to welcome this language in our churches because the whole world is lamenting. You don't have yep. to be a Christian to lament. Even the rocks cry out. Mm-hmm. You know, even like the world groans. Creation is groaning. Creation is lamenting. But for the Christian, we have a God who listens. Mm-hmm. We have a God who bottles our tears. And which led me to this next book, we have a God who makes us new in yeah, the middle of it. That's so so he doesn't leave us in that lament forever. Wow. Wow. And for the listener, the reason Esther said that Psalms was the only thing that that she could relate to during this time of stalking is because a lot of the Psalms are written by David, who at the time was being stalked by Saul. Yeah. And some theologians think that Saul had a mental illness, believe it or not, when I started studying that. And I thought, oh my goodness, I've never heard a sermon on (laughs) mental illness and how to live through that and how to, you know. And, And so then I saw the inconsistency of Saul. I used to read the Psalms and think David had a mental illness. Because I would see where he lamented and then he's right. like, but then I praise you or right. like, but I love you. And it's like, what's going on? David actually is, is really the one who taught me to pray yes. um, through the laments. And it was Saul yeah. that was attacking him. Yeah. And so how many of us are going to go through attacks and wrong, pers- wrongful accusations? Mm-hmm. And um a lot of us, and it's yeah. it's difficult, but the Psalms was a great guide for a prayer book for me. And then to realize that the Jewish people used to sing those out loud, I thought, mm. where are all the laments in our church service today? Like, wow. where are all these songs? Like, instead of just singing, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart, like, we need to be singing some laments because... Yeah. We have laments as people. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I believe that that's the key to being able to come up on the other side of it then. There's no way you're going to rise out of something or come through something victorious unless you've walked through the depths of that lament. Yeah. Because it's there that you meet the power of God and you need the power of God to bring you through this. Yeah. I mean, I had a spiritual mother say to me in these years of stalking, she says, I'm not just praying that it would stop. And I got so mad at her. Like, how could you not pray that it would stop? Like that's that. And she said, because there's such a depth of intimacy that you are getting to know God Mm. and you're going before him so raw that I don't want to rush you out of that. Like, I want him to meet you in that. And I want you to see him and I want you to know him. And so I'm not going to just pray you out of this transformation. And it ticked me off when she said it. I was like, well, you are my spiritual mom anymore, you know, but uh, I can see now where yeah. we in the West are so used to just praying these like microwave prayers mm. of getting out of distress. And instead, when you look at the Bible, God's people, including Jesus himself, are not taking the easy way out. They're not taking the shortcut. Jesus himself said to God, is there any other way? You know, and, mm. and to the, his soul was grieved to the point of death. Yep. Is there any other way, God? And Jesus didn't take the easy way yep. out. And so it taught me like, man, there is there is a rich transformation that happens in these lamenting seasons that not only can I not rush out of them anymore, but mm. I can't just like rush other people out of them either. That's so good. Instead, I want God to meet them in it. Wow. Hey, Nothing Is Wasted family. I'm here to tell you about our July bonus episode with my friend, Chris Dew. 
Chris was on episode 30 of the podcast and came back to do this bonus episode with us because if you don't already know, we are releasing an addiction series this month. He has an incredible story about overcoming addiction and now helping others to do the same. In our conversation, he talks all about the practical first steps to break free of addiction and how to support that process if you're involved in an addict's life. If that is something that you or a loved one struggles with, go to nothingiswasted.com slash partners and sign up to make a recurring monthly tax-deductible donation of $20 a month or more. With that donation, you'll be able to access this bonus episode as well as all of the other bonus content that we have made available to you. If you are hesitant about committing to $20 a month, you can start a seven-day free trial to preview the bonus content we have under our partner program. Again, that's nothingiswasted.com slash partners. Listen now to a snippet of my bonus conversation with Chris Dew. I believe it's in the 80s or something uh, that this other guy, uh, he was from Canada, I believe his name was Bruce Alexander, uh, that he did another study and he made this thing called Rat Park. And ultimately what he did is he had this giant play space with hundreds of rats in there with all this cheese and toys and and like all these friends, all this community. And bro, almost 0% of the time uh, that those rats would try the heroin water because he put plain water in there as well and the heroin water. And almost 100% of the time, the rats would never get addicted to the heroin water bottle. You know, for me, fear is this big topic that, you know, you're really hitting on right now. And I, there's so many people, when we work with so many people, we hear so many people's stories that, that, that that's a predominant struggle for them. This idea of fear manifesting in so many different ways, anxiety, worry, whatever it is. But at yeah. the end of the day, it's fear. And, you know, you, you have the one hand where we as humans, our human condition struggle with feel, fear. These emotions are very real. Um, and yet scripture, God's word, you know, tells us, Hey, he has not given us a spirit of fear or a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of, you know, sound mind of power of, of love. Uh, you know, there's so many different fear knots all through. How did you specifically Esther, how did you work through this, this feeling of fear? Obviously lament was a huge thing, but then what did it look like for you to kind of begin to come up underneath or come up from underneath the suffocating feeling of, yeah. oh my gosh, like constantly looking around your shoulder, fearing for your life, you know? Yeah. How do you find peace in that? Yeah, it is suffocating. And I remember, um, sadly, I had around that same time, I had a friend in the military. Um, his name was Dave. I talk about him in my books. And um, we were praying every day for his protection. He was, you know, mm. in the military, he was serving overseas. Um, and he ended up tragically being killed um, by a terrorist attack in a terrorist attack. Oh, and I remember I, I was so angry, like, God, we've prayed Psalm 91, yeah. like that you would protect him every day. How could this have happened? I mean, there was hundreds of us praying for his protection. How could he have physically died? And I really wrestled with that. And of course, felt that in, even in my own life, like I don't feel physically protected. And th this is the thing about God is you can take those questions and those frustrations to him. And he does speak to us and he does answer us. And usually if we're offended at scripture, it's that we hmm. are not understanding something. Yeah. And so I sadly had to learn that that, protection is actually a, a protection of our soul mm. that Dave was hidden in Christ. Yep. Dave belonged to God. And so Dave did have a protection right. and that is that he is home with God. Yep. Like he is not dead forever. Like he is in a greater place and in a greater state than I am here physically in this body that's decaying mm. in this world that's dying. So I think sometimes we can take scripture and we misunderstand what it's saying to us. Another example I can think of is 
I would always cling to the verse, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and petition, mm-hmm. give your requests to God and the peace of God. Well, you know, you can only say that so many times when you're being stalked. Right. I mean, <laughs> you know, it, it sure is a great verse and it's right. true, but I mean, it doesn't help at the end of the day when you're still yeah. suffocating with fear, like Absolutely. you said. Um, I realized after reading through the book of Philippians, I think there's probably 16 or so commands to be joyful, to mm-hmm. give thanks. And Paul was writing from prison. In prison, yep. Mm-hmm. I mean, so was Paul just like happy-go-lucky? No. Mm-hmm. Like, was Paul struggling? Was Paul suffering? Was Paul wrongly accused? Mm-hmm. And was he grieved? Yes. And yet in the midst of it, he can say, I'm not going to be anxious. God help me. And yeah. so there just had to be this, this new way that I approach scripture. Instead of like, oh, I've heard this verse 17 times mm-hmm. in the last week. Like, God, what are you really saying? And what's the context of it? And God's promises to us are deeply personal and they apply to our souls and our spirits that we are going to be his forever and yeah. that that no one can pluck us out of his hands. And so no matter what comes our way, we are his. Yeah. And, and so Psalm 91 is true and Philippians is true. Um, but look at what the people of God have had to live through before us. Mm. I mean, Jesus Christ himself, it never says Jesus was walking around smiling. I mean, yeah. instead it's like Jesus was a man of sorrows. He's familiar with grief. Yeah. I mean, why does God want us to know that about him? It's probably because as Jesus warned us, in this world, you are going to have trouble. Um, And so there's just, there's deeper promises in scripture than I realized. Mm. I had a more surface understanding of the faith. And it was in these long suffering seasons of my fear, not relenting, my anxiety, not releasing that I thought, God, what do these promises mean? And how do I live differently? And sometimes God teaches you that when physical circumstances don't change, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and, you know, I would say that oftentimes that's when we learn those things the most. That's when we, when we're attentive to it, you know, our, our, our hearts are soft and ready to listen because when we're on the mountaintop and things are going well and everything's up and to the right, we're like, oh, cool. And we totally forget about, uh, God and uh, this, this intimacy that he wants to have with us. And yet it's in these deep, dark nights of the soul, as you were describing, that God invites us into these spaces where we can experience Him more fully and understand yeah. Him more deeply. You know, I, I I shared for the first three years, I went through this specific trauma. But I mean, again, even after that, the, it didn't subside. I mean, I lived mm. years through years of stalking and it did change the way that I live. And I did eventually have to resign from my job. I mean, my physical earthly circumstances were really difficult. Mm. Um, but I will say when I finally did get some relief, I missed God. Yeah. Like I felt like I was able to say like, I don't ever want to go through that again. And I don't want anyone to ever go through that, but I missed that nearness. Wow. You know, and, um, and so I'm so thankful I'm in a different season. Yeah. And I want to give people that hope that that lament will not be your final song. It says yeah. in the book of Psalms that he puts a new song. We see that word new mm. again, that he puts a new song in our hearts. And he's done that to me. He's given me a beautiful family now. I can't believe it. I still like look at my husband and think, how did God give me mm. you? Like how you're the kindest gift, you know? And I look at my child and I love him so much. I'm so thankful I'm in a new season but I do miss God and, and just that needing of him every moment of every day. And it, it takes discipline when we're in a different season or a season of new to yeah. not forget how he's met us yeah. and how kind he is. And then also to remember our neighbors who are also struggling yeah. and who need the hope of God's nearness. Right. So wow. man, He's the best, you know? There's no other God that, no other God that offers. Oh man, absolutely. Well, and you know, and that's kind of become the inspiration for this new book that you um, are launching and that's uh, your new name. And just this idea that not only does God save you from some of these things, but he he puts a new label on you. um, And he, he, he meets you in these spaces, not just to heal you from these things, but also to empower you towards something else. You know, it's not yes. just saving from, but saving toward or saving for. Can you can you just 
kind of describe that? What really brought about some of the inspiration for this new book that you were releasing? You know, naming is really significant in scripture in both the Old and the New Testaments. And many times God changes a physical name of someone. Um, I actually was going through that as I was choosing marriage. Yeah. And <laughs> I was just about to say, yeah, changed. I'm sure that, that was something that <laughs> so, aligned right there for you. Yes, huh? it was. Um, so there was just a deep work that God was mm. doing in my life. Um, but but I studied the different name changes in scripture. And my hope is in every chapter that I kind of introduce an example of how God has changed somebody's name. So mm. whether or not that's Jacob being changed to Israel, he, he got changed in the middle of wrestling. Mm-hmm. Um, or I talk about Daniel, how Daniel he, mm. he had his name changed by the empire that kidnapped him. Here yeah. again, we see kidnapping and stalking yeah. uh, in the Bible. Daniel's name was changed by the culture. And that was really teaching me that if I don't know who I am in Christ, the culture around me is going to rename mm. me. They're going to have a label for me. And as I studied this, both new, the themes of new in scripture and naming in scripture, I realized that most of us are living living out of labels that lie to us. Mm. You know, for me, I, wa- I was an orphan. Um, I was abused. I was abandoned. I was a victim. All of those things were very true. And yeah. so I'm not calling people to ignore those things or minimize those things. Instead, hopefully I've set the, the pattern of we bring those things to God and we lament those things, but those are not our new names. Yeah. And I think many times we take on our circumstances as our name. So we'll name ourselves divorced or widowed mm. or single, but nowhere in scripture does God name us based on our net worth right. or our circumstances or our loss. God's names for us are prophetic. They're out of love for us. They're right. out of who God is. And they're usually for our future. They're mm. usually not regarding our past. They're usually calling forth things in our future. Like for example, Sarah, Mm. her name was Sarai. She was renamed to Sarah and she and Abram, who was renamed to Abraham, Mm -hmm. were told that they were going to be the father of nations, that that their descendants were going to outnumber the sand. And they laughed. Abraham (laughs) was like, how, what are you talking about? I, we can't have children. Um, so God was, was, calling forth this mother of nations, father of nations calling long before they could ever bear children. And that's how it is with God. We think that somehow, you know, what we bring to the table is what names us, but God calls forth things that he, that we can't even sometimes see for ourselves. Mm. And so I just saw that naming is so much more important in scripture than labeling. And I'm hoping to challenge the reader what labels have limited you? And and is it time to lament? Mm. Is it time to give those to God? And what new thing is he doing in this next season? Wow, that's so good. That's so good. I feel like that those two books and, and the two messages that you're carrying, just as you articulated it right now, they dovetail so well. And one is is necessary for the other one. You know, God's always doing this new thing. He always wants to do a new thing. He's continually moving us toward newness, but in order for us to step into that newness, we first have to um, fully shed and fully grieve the old, the remnants of, you know, what this world has done to us, what we have carried onto ourselves, the shame that we've impacted in our own souls. Like all of that stuff has to be, like you said, handed over for us to fully experience the new that God has for us. And so what a beautiful thing that you're like, your life speaks this, Esther, mm-hmm. but also the message that God is teaching you through this is being, it's a blessing to other people as well to be able to find an, the true freedom that, that God intends for them. Thank you. You know, I, I stumbled upon this actually when I was studying and it was my editor that, that said, I want you to look more into this. Hmm. Um, I was reading the book of Ruth and I, I never had seen Ruth as a story of three widows yeah. and how three widows responded and their grief. three different, yep. Come and, on, Esther, um, preach this. I'm literally preaching this message this coming Sunday. Send go it for it. To me. Hey, come on, go ahead. I'm about to get Pentecostal on you. Go ahead. Tell us. Well, I mean, honestly, I just, you have the book, so you need to go skip yes. ahead to that chapter. And uh, here's here's the thing is that Naomi renames herself Mara. Mara. Naomi's name mm. means sweet and mm. pleasant. And Naomi went through extreme grief. She lost her husband. She lost yeah. her sons. Any single one of us would grieve for what Naomi had to go right. through. Um it, she is so grieved that she says, don't call me Naomi anymore. Don't mm. call me sweet. Call me Mara. And Mara means bitter. 
Mm-hmm. And I just, in that moment, felt like God said to me, Esther, how many times are you renaming yourself wow. in the middle of your grief? Wow. And I never see God giving us permission to rename ourselves in the middle of the story. Instead, God (laughs) names us and God renames us and God renames us for something that is ahead. And so our grief is not going to be the final end of our story. And you can go ahead and read the book of Ruth and you realize that Naomi's life does not end in bitterness. Mm. Naomi does become a grandmother, probably one of the most most famous grandmothers of, yeah. (laughs) Most famous grandmother there is, yeah. Um, And I felt like God said, Esther, help people get unstuck, Mm. where they have named themselves by their circumstances, where they have said, I am not sweet anymore. My life is not sweet anymore. God is not sweet anymore. Call me bitter. Like tell them to lament and keep going. That lament is not their final song. Lament is not their final story. There is a new thing that God is doing and we are not to rename ourselves prematurely. Wow. Wow. That's so good. Well, guys, if you're listening to this, you absolutely have to pick up both these books. Would you, I would encourage reading them in succession, right? Thank you. No more faking fine. I I would love that. And (laughs) then read your new name because it, I think that they dovetail so well, but man. I think they do too. I did. I was challenged by the publisher to not write in such a way that was like, you know, for somebody who picked up your new name, they needed to be able to just read it and not have have a bookend. Yeah, absolutely. But I think, I think they dovetail. And I think again, it's it's sometimes um, more comfortable to talk about the newness. Yeah. And it's more uncomfortable to talk about lament, but there's real there's a lot of jewels yeah. in that lament book that you don't want to miss. Absolutely, doing the new thing. So. Oh man, well Esther, thank you. This conversation has been incredible. I'm feel I feel so stirred up. Now I'm ready to go preach <laughs> this message on Sunday. <laughs> All right, I really do want you. To- <laughs> I want to hear it. I'll send it to you. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, man. Thank you for spending time with us and for blessing our our listeners. And um, thank you for what you're doing to to change this world and to help people. Hey, thanks for your perseverance in the faith. We've Mm. certainly been praying for your family even before we've ever met you. And so it's really an honor to get to know you. And I'm proud of you for not wasting anything. Mm, Thank you. Every time I hear one of those like lead-ins or lead-outs and sleeping at last, it just, I get all the feels. I love sleeping at last music. I love it. It's so powerful. It's like, it's unbelievably powerful. I love to write to it. I love to do all of it. So thank you, Sleeping at Last, for providing all the music for the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. Brittany, this is, um, I've never I've never shared this before, but uh, the the uh, audio engineer and I were trying to wrestle through like, what music do we use? We wanted to use sleeping at last for sure, because we just love that feel and that thread and what song is it? So, you know, the, the intro, the theme music for nothing is wasted podcast is a song called Jupiter. And, you know, you hear the music to it and it's kind of become like a, Oh yeah, that's the fact we were listening to it the other day, just listening to sleeping at last in general. And Christy was like, Oh, it's a nothing is wasted song. Right. Well, I go, well, Chrissy, listen to the lyrics of this. And I want to read these lyrics because it's like yeah, so ap- it's so appropriate. But the chorus says, make my messes matter. Wow. Make this chaos count. Let every little fracture in me shatter out loud. Wow. So good. If that's not like the perfect song for the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, I don't know what it is. And we had no idea. Like... We've picked the tune and we're like, oh, that's a really cool tune. And then later I hear the lyrics. I'm like, oh my gosh. That's a God thing right there. Yeah, that's so perfect. So perfect. So that's the whole point. Nothing is nothing is wasted podcast is we want our messes to matter because God, God steps into our pain. He makes our pain count by redeeming it and by um by bringing purpose to it. And mm-hmm. so Brittany, you know, I I'll I'll use that to say this. I love the fact that that is your story. Your story has been taking this mess and saying, you know what, we're going to make this matter. We're not going to, this is not going to be wasted. We're going to do something with this. And you and Daniel have just been shining examples of that. I love your family. I love the ministry that you guys have. I'm so upset that 
you're not going to be co-hosting with us anymore. <laughs> it's been a fun ride. Uh, this, these like guest co-host things have been like, oh, this is so fun. And then it's like, oh, yeah, you're done after this week. Oh, man. <laughs> it's been fun. Well, I appreciate um, you having me. And we are so thankful for you and Christy and the whole team at Nothing Is Wasted. What an amazing ministry that's impacting thousands of lives to the glory of God. Uh, well, thank you. Well, you know this. We talk about this all the time. The Brooker family and the Blackburn family have a lot of ministry ahead together. Mm, yes, it's going to be a lot do. of fun. So make sure you, it's, this this voice right here, Brittany Brooker, is going to be a voice that you're going to hear a lot from uh, in the coming years, um, not just in this ministry, but across the across the globe. I definitely believe, Brittany, you've got an incredible, powerful ministry that God has put inside of you, and it's it's being birthed, and it's um, it's going to give way to uh, impacting so many people. So I'm just so glad that you spent some time with us. It's so great. Thank you so much. Next week starts a brand new series that we're doing. I love when we do series because we kind of get to go on a journey. Yes. We just take they get this to build topic. on top of each other. That's awesome. Yeah. And we take one topic and we just kind of look at it from a lot of different perspectives. And this topic that we're going to be tackling is the topic of addiction. And I, and I promise you, you're not going to want to miss these stories. They're unreal stories. And we've tried to take this topic of addiction and look at it from as many different angles with as many different nuances as possible. And uh, it's it's going to be, I mean, Brittany, these stories are unreal. You're going to love them. You're going to love them. It is going to be such a powerful series that's going to change so many lives and bring yeah. so much hope. Mm-hmm. And the first episode is with Seth Haynes. Let's check out this little clip. I was standing in the um, uh, front lobby and I was talking to this humanitarian photographer. I'll never forget it because um, he had a little bit of liquor on his breath. I had to have reeked of it. Um, And it was just one of those like pain meets pain Mm -hmm. moments, you know? Yeah. And we're in this lobby and we're sort of talking about some things and um, the door opens and on the other side of the door um, walks in the silhouette. And I remember the, the, the way the light was coming in and the, you know, I was hung over. So it was like a thousand shards of light, mm-hmm. like breaking my brain apart is how it felt. Um, and then when the door shuts and the silhouette sort of comes into view, it's this uh, woman I knew named Heather. I walked over to Heather and Heather's backstory is really interesting um, because she was from Minnesota and she had a drinking problem. Um, I had, you know, been in recovery for a couple of years, maybe, um, I had no idea she had moved to Austin and she had just like shown up because she had heard that I was going to be there and we knew each other. And, um, so I see her and the minute I see her, it was like, I heard this voice saying like, you can take care of this now or it's going to get really bad. 